So let's give attention now to this word as it comes from 1 Corinthians 16. Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now uh, and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one, then, should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but when he, uh, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first convert, were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit such to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refresh my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Good morning, Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church, and welcome to our annual Memorial Day service. Um, it almost feels like church planting days a little bit. I like this. I love being a church planter. Um, uh, so good to have you guys who decided to stay in town to be with us today or who came in town to visit other folk and are here with us today. I'm glad to have you. <clears throat> We're going to finish our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've learned a lot of heart and spiritual stuff And as a pastor of this church, I can tell you that that stuff affected us and this church for real. Um, The Lord did some real work in our church and our relationships with him and others. And I thank God that his word is true and active. And God actually moves through it when we decide to commit our lives to it. So I warn you about going through books like 1 Corinthians. It can be harmful to your non-God sense of life um, and helpful to your hearts in in a beautiful way. Well, today we are going to take all that we've learned and hopefully better understand what I will describe as doing holy admin. 
to see the outer and inner workings of how all this stuff that God has given us and made us gets packaged and sent and organized in this church incorporated. And if you're like me, you want to be able to live your spiritual life above the administrative and logistical and organizational groundings, putting it in your less than important than Jesus and God and my relationship with him stuff. But this chapter uh, is is filled with details and logistical and and corporate stuff. and, And I almost decided not to preach it. It's too administrative. What's he really saying? Do this, do that. You know, what's that got to do with God? You know, and and I, I just, I struggled with it. But I think we need a reality check for the real gospel and real gospel change that some of us may have embraced as we've gone through this book thus far. You know, the most overlooked committee in our Presbyterian denomination is the administrative committee. Whenever we get mail from the administrative committee, maybe I shouldn't say this because the sermon goes online. It's hard to open it and read it like you would your Facebook page messages or something like that. It is the committee no one wants to serve on, right? Well, I shouldn't say no one. Just not all of those, you know, those preacher, charismatic, I am just a pastor, love my people, admin is not my gift kind of pastors. And yet it is one of our permanent committees, meaning it is staffed and, and full-timed and they have a building and office and people that work. It, it, is a, it is permanent because we would not be able to come around, especially once a year as a denomination, at our what we call our general assembly to meet as a church so that we pastor types can be free to do God's business. Unless the administrative committee, it wouldn't happen unless the administrative committee gathers all the money and the people and, and gets the place and the times and schedules all together. Even if it turns out to be a time some of you, Pastor Giorgio, pastor and preacher types in between votes end up during the boring business stuff in the hallways talking to folk and and afterwards gathered in the pubs catching up with friends and pastor friends scattered across the country to be refreshed and sharing with. It took even the administrative committee to make it possible for fellowship like that to happen. It makes me think about our own local church practices. I'm with you. We think we can miss the announcements. Church ain't started yet. They just give in the announcements or or overlook emails with that title, Christ Central Church on it, right? Or, Or bow out on after church family meetings. And yet in the church, if there is no organization, there is no institution. And if there is no institution, there most likely is not a church or people you can count on or depend on and trust your life to. One if I dial this number if I get Pastor Howard. Bring. Sorry, he moved. Hey, you know, it's the way church is sometimes. No organization, right? Hear this. From what we see happening in chapter 16, the gospel, which is the holy and saving work of God and his people in the world, it takes resources and it takes routine and it takes what I would describe as a corporate respect, resources, routine and respect. 
Now, I don't want to reread all of this chapter, because we could to get this first point about God using resources and people in all the right places. But it opens with Paul asking people to get together, to get their money gathered, and then it talks about his plans to come and go, and then that he may send Timothy, and then he talks about the return of Apollos, one of the preachers that pastors at the church, and then he talks about and name those who apparently brought him the letter of issues and questions from Corinth, those long Greek names I'm not going to try to say, and who helped them along. The point is this. The gospel takes resources, not just any resources, but but people resource management, having actual people in all the right places. That it takes a different level of people resources to make things happen, right? Take basketball, for example. It's a long way as far as people, organization, and resources between the NBA Finals and the pickup game out here at Cordelia Park, right? Because if you are in the NBA Finals, you are not coming to game two, looking around, wondering who washed the uniforms, or if there are enough people on each side to play, or where is everybody going to sit? And if you only have five total, you surely can't say, like at Cordelia Park, let's just play 21 until more folk get here, or let's just go half court for a while. And you don't get to the Finals wondering if you have someone who can dribble, or someone tall enough to dunk, or guard the other person, or if you have a Kobe Bryant score type, or Rondo assist type. No, this is the finals man you have the right people in the right places period and Paul is showing us that it should be just as if not more important considering the NBA finals are temporary and the church work of the gospel is eternal that we have people in all the right places people resources for the sake of the gospel A lot of folk believe, we don't need church membership. Why should I sign my name on that dotted line? It means commitment. Well, you know, we just had membership class the other day, or intro to Christ Central class, and I must be honest, y'all want me to be honest, right? I thought, yes, Lord, right? Kind of a typical pastor sound. Yes, Lord, woo! More people to be counted on and used for the kingdom. We must have people in the right places. See, this is like the making the sausage sermon, right? The one I sort of didn't want to preach, but we must have people in the right places for this thing to work. We need you to be counted on and accounted for and accountable as available. It is a matter of how many men and women and family power we have. That's responsible organic power that this church can offer to the world and this community and to each other. Knowing according to your resource what the world can count on from this church and thus from you. How many and who and how much can we really send and give to Haiti? Well, we shouldn't be saying, I don't know, whoever shows up, shows up. I know y'all suffering down there. I know y'all need people. How many people you got? I don't know. We'll see when the date shows up. We'll see how many people show up at the airport. We'll see how many folk. Hey, Donnie. Hey, how you doing? Howard, how many people coming? I don't know. Can't count on those folk. Sorry. We can't live like that. You know, we should have a round idea of what the Lord has given and what you're doing and where you are. I want to warn that some of you may at times feel administrated. Ooh, our generation, we don't want to be administrated. I'm not a number. You can't pigeonhole me. You can't tell me where I am or what I'm doing or what I'm committed to. I'm free. We love that kind of stuff. But in the church, you will feel administrated.
frustrated sometimes and, and putting and getting you in the right place to get and do and be what God would have you to be and do and get. Remember? This is the inside sermon, right? How does it work? We do sit in a room as a staff in a session. Like Paul does here for us in a letter. And schedule some of you. We... <laughs> We do put you somewhere in the life of our church and think about who can fill a hole or or who can do this or that from organizing the closet and checking on why the toilet keeps running. And if you are out of place or unused resource, the Bible is encouraging you here to tell us as your responsibility too. don't get all self pitiful, wondering why no one ever asked you to do things. I'm not doing anything. I'm not important. I hadn't told anybody I feel that way. I'm just going to walk around looking pitiful. You know, I mean, get in where you fit in. And if you get in, come to help to us to help you fit in. Right. This is our, this is our responsibility. If you just floating around, no place to go, don't know what, what to do. Come to us. Come to your elders. You know, we'll we got a place for you. <laughs> this is church. You, your person, what you do is like a resource to the kingdom, to the church. Not only your person, but, ready? You, you know where this is going, right? Where every post-PTL church hates or, or pretend like does, they don't want to go or doesn't matter? Money. Oh, Lord, here we go. News only a matter of time for he tried to get that, that new luxury car from us. Um, I'm going to skip the luxury car. I'm just going straight for the jet. Um, but... <laughs> Realize we learn here from scriptures the apostle the apostle does it and teaches us that it takes money in the right place. Let's look again at verse three and four. Um, he says, "Then uh, I'm sorry, verses one. Now about the collection of God's people, do what I told the Galatian church to do on the first day of every week. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made." And then he tells people. Uh, who, that are coming to visit, that he's coming to visit, and, and he's saying later in this chapter, um, Timothy's coming, and, and this person's coming, and, and, and they're coming to visit, and he's basically telling them to take care of their needs. The gospel takes money. What do I mean by that? It not only depends on monetary resources, but let me be careful how I say this. The gospel grabs your money. The gospel itself. Don't look at me. This ain't no holy stick up. This is the, the gospel. It actually asks for your money. The gospel message itself demands it. There is a demand of the gospel. So it is in this ask because Paul is saying there's another church that is struggling that needs help. And apparently there has been reluctance to give to them for one reason or another. But Paul, after teaching all of this stuff for, for 15 chapters, is letting the gospel itself extort their hearts. To get them to give by reminding them they are believers who have others to take care of in the church by and through the church. I mean, we take up money every Sunday at church and worship. And I think it is interesting that Paul asked them to take it up the first day of week or Sunday, which most likely is worship time. And it, it sets the context here. We're not the ones actually asking for and taking their money. We're just there to collect it. 
There's a big boss. There's a mob, holy mob boss. His name is Jesus. And he sends us just to collect what he's already extorted your heart to give in a holy extortion way, right? And the Lord, the gospel is pushing you hard to write a check or reach in your pocket or walk down the aisles with wads. Where is he? Of ones handing out to, there's my babies, giving dollars out, Charles. And that is true for real because it takes money to keep things going, not only organizationally, but for you and others spiritually as they give and as they receive it from God. And sometimes it can be awkward for us up, up here at giving time. We, we are nervous about what we're going to say. Our boss said we need to have an offering at worship service. Thank you, God, for that principle. We just want to be nice. You know, we don't have to say it's money time. Oh, great. But Lord ask us to do it. We're nervous. We don't want it to be guilt driven. And we don't want to think, tell you a lie. Like if you put enough money in the plate, God just might bless you with something bigger or better. No, you might put money in the plate like you should. And it might be a week of struggle. I wish I could lie to you sometimes just to make it easier for me. But I won't. God may not bless you the way you think you should be blessed, according to some other preachers you heard from. He's going to bless you. He's blessing you by working in your heart to come up off the cash. That's his job. Not mine. I just collect it. And we, I mean, think about it. You understand in this holy extortion of your money that this church, that's, that's you who are the incorporated have obligations to the church at large. Like Paul says, there's a church hurting. Y'all need to give. Collect it. I don't want to be there to be, raise money. Get yourself together. Have the money ready. Have a package. You know, it's kind of funny. Have that package ready. I'm going to pick it up on my way, right? But, and, and, you know, think about what it takes, you know, obligations of church at large. And we have missionaries and there are folk in this congregation hurting who need Need mercy money. For example, Liam Tooming in South India and hundreds of orphans are counting on you. Orphans. Man, my man Liam getting, getting taken over by warlords with machine guns having to preach for three hours. I mean, preach, man. And he's like, hey, anybody over there going to send any money over here? We got a waiting list for the orphanage. We can't build an orphanage big enough in Manipur to, to cover all the needs. And I'm counting you churches, but he's actually counting on the Lord to go to work to get it. That's why we started. Oh, man, it was a debate that online giving and have offering in our church. And we as a church that, that has we have family meetings and look at your Link, the thing you kind of ends up in the garbage can or kids color on, which is fine. And we, we'll tell you straight up and show you in the bulletin to say, honestly, hey, this is what we need to make it. So, like Paul says, get your money together, have it ready to go on Sunday morning. And if not, plan for the summertime off, we've asked you. You know, don't go on vacation and think things going to be all right. No, lean tuning still got to run the orphanage for the kids, even in the summer. Amanda got to eat this summer, right, Amanda? Don't you have to eat? You know, Carver and them, they, they'll be all right. They get some scraps. We'll tell you straight up. You want to look at our budget? Come and look at the budget. Want to see your obligations? Want to see how much folk get paid? Oh, no problem. It's open book here. You can look at it. I don't look at it because I don't completely understand it. All I want to know is how much I'm getting paid. No, just... I understand that line. Nope. 
We, the leaders of this church, trust the gospel to take it from you and then have you freely give it graciously to the kingdom. Only the gospel can extort money like that. Man, I got to give it. But I'm so happy. I don't have a lot of money, but I want to give it. Why? I don't know. God did something. We just here to collect it. And when you have the most important message in the world and, and are in community with the Lord and God and Savior of the world, you got money and people resources, without a doubt, all of that is going to take and require some routine and order. The gospel takes routine and order. Which means as people of the gospel, we must schedule our lives to carry the gospel. What is Paul doing here in this chapter? Again, I'm not going to reread all the little points here. I urge you to do it. But what is Paul saying is he is daytiming. Y'all don't know what a daytimer is, do you? He's PDAing. He got a Blackberry or probably a droid. And he's calling and he's planning and he's sending people to specific times and places and, and calling them to make sure they are there and they are ready. He expects them to be willing, but he is calling the willing people of God to be where they need to be when they should be there. He gives them directions, verses 1 through 4, on having their money ready on Sunday. And then he says, have the gift bringer, because if y'all don't trust me to take the cash, you can send your man with me. I don't mind. I'll come get it. And you can take, you, it could be armor car dude with the gun, make sure I don't take the money that gets to the Galatian church. No problem. But be ready. Schedule something. Have a time when that money gets collected. Make sure folk there, hey, we have in service. Bring your money. All right. It even says save your money up, right? Be there. Schedule it. And he talks about his traveling schedule. And then he gives them Timothy and Apollo's plan. And then he says this in verse 13. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. In other words, be ready, man. Get your life and heart together. And in order for the coming and carrying of the gospel of God's work in the world. Which practically, practically means that we must actually look at our calendars and at church book, that thing we got going on in our church, and our travel schedule and nursery schedule and plan and plan to be there with holy purpose. Prioritizing. Can't say that word too well. With the church and your relationships and ministries and church in mind. Looking at the schedule and thinking, you know what? I'm a member of a church. As I plan this week, that should be part of what I think is important. Jesus and his work might be important. And as I look at my schedule, maybe I should think about that. I mean, this is what we do as pastors and elders. Called to do it a little bit more as far as the calling of elders. But nonetheless, we have to balance our obligations and decisions and sacrifices and soccer practice and all kind of stuff. And sleep time for the sake of carrying the gospel. And the call to carry the gospel is as simple for some of us of actually scheduling and then carrying yourself to someone or with others in fellowship or community group or prayer triad or devotion time or Bible studies. Actually looking at your week and not accidentally finding yourself there. That's just kind of basic stuff. Paul said, no accidents. When it comes down to the glory of the gospel, be proactive. Schedule, plan to be there, and then be there. Ooh, we love the maybe on that Evite. You talked about this, Pastor Georgia. What? You going to be there? Maybe. Ooh, I love that. Ooh, they didn't have a maybe. We wouldn't know what answer to give. We try to, is there a right end part, Right? You know, there's no check for what I want. Will you go with me? Think about it if you're a kid. When you ask a girl to go with you in fifth grade, will you go with me? Check yes or no. You never put a maybe slot. 
But it also means here, if we look at verse 12, he says, Now, but our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to go with you, to go to you with the brothers. He is quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Then he says, Be on your guard, stand firm to faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. In large part, I believe that Paul, that this is about Paul and Apollos setting appropriate boundaries. And getting the right kinds of breaks. So you thought the scheduling was just about me working, right? Just being enslaved. No, no. Apollos was probably worn out. He was weary. If you read the beginning of this book, his name showed up as one of the people that were causing, not causing, but people were gathering around in the schism. Apollo was just a name. Hey, I'm with Apollos. I'm with Paul. I'm with Jesus. Apollos don't want to be around them people. He realizes his gifted presence, probably in preaching, made him make people, no, his presence, people were using and making a a demigod out of him. Paulus don't want to be with them. And and it's almost like he realizes, Paul is saying, when he and I are ready for him to come back, I am continuing to encourage him to return when the time is right. If you read the scriptures and words, it's saying when the time is right. When God is willing, not just him, that he will stop his necessary break from you that's good for him so he is not misused. If Apollo's presence was going to create a split in the church, Apollo's might need to take a break. If Apollo's doesn't know how to negotiate the, the warriors during his time, Apollo's need to have some boundaries. And the, the Apostle Paul is taking up for him. The church is about a resource management in that its people and leaders are called to schedule and plan so that there would not be abuse or misuse or overuse of people. Paul is seeking to protect Apollos through real life logistics and scheduling. He, and even the church, and maybe he's taking too much time. He has a plan with a purpose of proper boundaries. Sometimes you see us take breaks. Georgia is going to lead us through Jonah in the month of June. I'll be here. I'm just ain't preaching. Thank you, man. I need a break. That, that break is important to my pastoring and caring for you. It's appropriate. The sessions are good. Can't be gone every Sunday, but good. Be here. You don't have to be up here. You know, relax. I mean, get, get your spiritual life together. Don't just go out there and fish. Read a book or something. And so there's there's this real scheduling aspect that affects us and gives us refreshment to do the work. And you need that too. Understand as a session and a staff and pastors as we schedule you as people, resources of a church to keep boundaries and takes breaks to prevent. We do it so that to prevent the wrong relationship matches and, and time issues and being in ministries that may burn you out. We believe in workers comp around here. That if you are injured or hurt or broken or can't, like verse 13, stand faithfully or work out of love for others and God, then you must stop. If you're broken and messed up until you're in and causing schism and all kind of problems and, and there's all kind of issues and you can't get your life together, we will step in and stop you or help you take a break. But that stuff takes scheduling. And you know why some people overwork? Because you ain't working. Everybody else scheduled except you. So now we got people in the nursery schedule three times when it should have been one time because two or three of y'all ain't scheduled right. This is about caring for each other. This is about helping each other keep boundaries. Uh, but 
But it takes schedule and know where everybody is and all that stuff. Now, taking these principles of boundaries and breaks and play along with being logistically proactive for the sake of the gospel, I have to ask you. What did you actually do last week? And plan to do this week? To carry the gospel. Are we just lazy? I know I am sometimes. Just seeking comfort. Are you overcommitted and depressed to the point where you're no good? And I want to be careful for all of us who are leaning in that direction. You know, I'm just overworked and you ain't doing nothing. You know, um, before considering that our wrong, think about our wrong longings and addictions and bad boundary setting and poor relationship development or, or bad eating and sleeping habits or, or overworking to get so you can get that big check or, or not working at all because you're just scared and depressed and afraid of trying and feeling because Timothy and I might be coming. And when he says send them in peace or about sending them, him, he's not talking about let the doorknob hit you with a good Lord split you. That's not what he's saying. No, he is saying have some food and housing for Timothy and me. And when I do send and when I do go send me with some traveling money, maybe a few bag lunches in peace. When he says in peace, we could substitute it for send me with a piece of something, a piece of money, a piece of horse to ride, a piece of food to drink. Receive and send me with your blessing. We have some church planners from Delaware visiting, checking out our church today. And uh, they call. Y'all got any place for us to stay? I'm like, too bad. Your church plan is working out. No. <laughs> You'll find a way. Thank you, Bill Ingram. Right there. Open up. Ready. Ready to go. Right? Ready to, to, to care for the gospel. And take it from me, one who loves the church, but who this financial scheduling thing is a real step of faith. To organize my money right. And this is not about being stingy or controlling or miserly. But this is about being primed to give to and invest in something that will last for eternity. I mean, look at your checkbook. At your online spending. How's care of the gospel looking for you? I don't want to do it either. I don't like to look at how I spend money. No way. Woo. Reveal some things about me. He's saying, look at that stuff. We might need to take make time and job decisions in this thing. Even housing choices. Some of y'all, I know. Some of you empty nesters and stuff, got the bigger house. Some of y'all might just decide to keep that house. Why? Because folk need place to stay sometimes. And some of you have opened your homes graciously. And I think you need to think about those things because you're, as a believer, you're concerned about the gospel. You know, you're concerned. Maybe there's some folk who might need something or, or that maybe my house is big enough for community group or for a party. And, you know, there is a sense in which the Lord is calling us to take those things into account. In the book, the book of Acts, when when the church first started, the Bible says people sold land and houses and gave it to the church for the work of the gospel. Now we're in a different time, in a different place, got interest rates and all that. You know what I'm saying, but. Moving on, this gospel also takes a corporate respect, respect for the, for who works for the church. Now, Paul commends these folk like Timothy and Apollos and himself, but also the three who came to Ephesus. Look, look at verse 15 quickly. You know that the household of Stephanus 
Man, Brent, you said it so well, I'm afraid now. Were the first converts in Achaia and then have devoted themselves to the service of the saints? I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus and Fortuitus and Achaeus arrived, to say it real fast, sounds right, because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they, they refreshed my spirit and yours also. So such men deserve recognition. Understand that these commendations are called for, for, for respect and honor, which means at the lowest level, listen to them, obey them, trust and honor them, invite them up for dinner sometimes as, as those sent by me, the pastor and apostle who was sent by God. You know, it, it, this thing works like any other business. There's a chain of command here, right? If the bank president says, hey, you go down there and you tell those people, to clean up their desk. And someone goes down. He said, clean up. The, the bank president says, clean up your desk. You can't tell me what to do. The bank president said, clean up your desk. Oh, okay. There's this degree of honor and respect because ultimately when Apostle Paul says that God is saying it and you're listening, you know, there's this call to, when we put people in place to lead in God's church and, and not just elders and pastors, but those sent out by the pastors and elders, things would fall apart at this church just institutionally if you didn't respect and honor community group leaders and women shepherds and men shepherds and eventually deacons and then ministry leaders and then, of course, elders and staff but understand that this thing the church would fall apart if not for respect in that honorable way but he's also talking about giving people double honor now the first honor in scripture is obedience and respect this person said to me they have a position i'm going to listen to them i'm going to respect them they got a title but then there's a double honor part which is some folk get paid who give so much of the time and specialized expertise that it would hurt their ability to survive without it and dishonor and disrespect them and not pay them. I think about Jessica and Elizabeth and, and worship and band leaders and if we had a single children's person like we do with Trina and then D with the youth and etc. who work for those, what he's saying is those who work for those who the Bible says of worth of are worthy of double honor, the pastors of the church like me and Pastor G, that things run around here out of the pastoral ministry, right? So, you know who's really called to do children's ministry and lead worship and do and do and do youth? The pastors, the elders, those worthy of double honor, those worthy of okay, if you got it, you pay him. Now, what happens is because of that double honor responsibility, sometimes, like Paul can't come right now, so he says, I'm sending Timothy and I'm sending Apollos. You need to take care of them as those sent by me doing what I should be doing as the pastor. Double honor. But he's not only calling for respect for those who lead in God's church, but finally, respect for the one who is the head of the church. With all the planning Paul does, he gives respect to the one who makes all of the resources and routine work. Look with me at verse 7 and 9 through 9. He says, I do not, I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit, visit. I hope to spend time with you, some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened, has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. Paul uses language like 
hope. If the Lord permits, open doors. Understand what he's doing here. He is giving greater respect to God here for doing what God wants and wills with the resource and routines of the gospel. God's the boss of this stuff. God, Jesus is like the mix master, right? For you hip-hop folk. Of all the resources and routines we bring him, he's the... Puffy and Dr. Dre and Pharrell and Pat Master P and Missy Misdemeanor, Elliot of the church. He takes all of our talents and gifts and resources and time and he produces it. And he manages, he manages the quantity we give him with a quality control. God himself takes it and he markets it and he makes it and he gives how he feels would give him the most glory and us the greatest sanctifying bottom line. And sometimes he pushes the envelope on what we bring him. And for this crazy God mix of things that can happen to our resources and and routines by the unseen hand of God, he calls us in verse 13 once again, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. Why? Because with your scheduling, with your resources, you will look like a fool. You're going to give yourself. You're going to give your money. And you're going to look like a fool. Why are you going up in there? Why are you giving your schedule? Why are you giving your money? What has it done? You can't see everything the Lord is doing. This is not about giving money to, to the church organization and we, we work it out well enough to make it happen. No, we're called to lead responsibly for what resources and money and everything we got. But ultimately, man, even the elders of this church, we look back and watch what God does with all that you've given and all that we don't have. Proper respect. You know, there's one unscheduled and unmanaged person in this church. And it's Jesus. (laughs) Nobody tells him where he needs to go or how much he needs to give. Sometimes it is not us making things happen or change or not 